Well, as a new school year begins, there is this one particular children's book that I love to pull off the shelf for my kids. It's called Marshall Armstrong is New to Our School. And from the start of the book, it's obvious. Marshall Armstrong is different than all the other students. His school supplies are different. The food he eats at lunch is different. The way he laces his shoes is different. His hair, his freckles, his watch, his eyeglasses, his skin, they're all very different from everyone else. And so, yes, Marshall Armstrong doesn't fit in at school. Not one bit. And so no one sits next to him. No one speaks to him. No one plays with him at recess. Instead, he is ignored, as everyone would just rather him go away. But then, Marshall Armstrong invites all his classmates to his house for his birthday. No one wants to go. Everyone is convinced Because Marshall Armstrong is so different that it's going to be a terrible party and everyone is going to have a terrible time. But to everyone's surprise, at Marshall Armstrong's house, they can run around inside. There is real lemonade made from real lemons. They get to compete in an elaborate obstacle course. And they take turns looking at the sky through a telescope. They rebuild a train set, take swings at a pinata stuffed with candy, and slide down a special fireman's pole from the top of the house to the bottom. So that in the end, it was one of the most incredible birthday parties anyone had ever experienced. On the way home, one of the boys says to his mom, we had a great time at Marshall Armstrong's party, and Marshall is great too. And from that point on, the students are all eager to get to know anyone who is new and different at school. It's a great read, a great lesson for kids as they return to class, that those who are different from you, those of whom your first impulse is to ignore or send away even, they are often the ones who can challenge and inspire you in ways that even your own peeps can't do. It's a great lesson for the church as well, that like Marshall Armstrong's classmates, we too have a predisposition to gravitate to those who are like us, those who share a similar background, share a similar socioeconomic class, a similar political leaning. It's only natural. We like folks who, for the most part, think and talk just like we do. Yeah, sure, we can make light of a few minor differences between us, you know, poke fun a little at each other's personality quirks, no big deal. But if we begin to perceive that the gap between us and the other is too wide, too different, then yes, we are prone to turn away. We're prone to ignore, even to wish that the other would just stay with their own kind. I wonder, who is the other in your life? Who are those whom you'd rather just stay with their own kind? Those whom you'd rather just go away? 
those who are so different from you that you really you just don't even understand them, right? Might it be anyone on the side of the road holding a cardboard sign asking for a few dollars? Might it be the growing immigrant population in our country, in our own city even? Maybe it's those who have a political bent unlike your own. Those woke, liberal, elitist, those hard-nosed Republicans. I I don't understand them. I don't want anything to do with them. I I wish they would just go away. Maybe it's even a Christian subgroup. Those Southern Baptist fundamentalists of our past. Those stringent Roman Catholics. Those seeker-sensitive, entertainment-oriented, non-denominational Bible churches. Maybe it's those evil Episcopalians. Let's just send them all away. Whoever it is for you, let me ask you this question. What does Jesus think of the other? Of those people you would like to send away, what do you think he would say? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus agreed with you? If he too would just shoo them off the stage? If, if he would put them in their place and show them who's right and they're wrong? I don't know. I, I realize this sounds crazy, but perhaps Jesus might do just that. I mean, my goodness, did you, did you hear our gospel reading today? Isn't that what he does? He ignores and rejects this outsider? He puts this Canaanite woman in her place, letting her know that she is not worthy to butt in line? Or is it the other way around? I came across a number of commentators this past week who argued that this Canaanite woman, she is the one who ends up putting Jesus in his place. That Jesus had let his compassion down. And so he was the one in need of having his eyes open to someone who was different. That this encounter marks a turning point for Jesus' ministry. So that now he sees that his mission is in fact much wider than even he had imagined. Well, however you slice it, on the face of things, this is a distressing passage. You know, to, to see our Savior so out of character, responding in such an uncompassionate way to the desperate cries of a Gentile woman, for our good shepherd to use such harsh and insensitive language? What is going on here? Why is Jesus responding this way? And is there anything for us to learn about how Jesus might want us to deal with those who are other, those whom we would like to to send away? Because clearly this woman, she is different She is the Marshall Armstrong of our story, a Gentile seeking favor from a Jew, a a descendant of the ancient Canaanites, the bitter enemies of Israel whose paganism would often lead them into idolatry. And of course, she's also a woman, a woman approaching a rabbi when in those days any self-respecting rabbi would never speak to a female in public, much less an unknown Gentile woman. And yet she is moving toward him, isn't she? Causing quite a commotion. The text says that she starts shouting at Jesus. 
Son of David, help. Have mercy on me. My daughter is in torment. Help me. And Jesus responds with silence. Not one word. Is this indifference? Rejection? <laughs> Letting his compassion down? Well, before we rush to judgment, let's consider what we know about Jesus, about how he is presented across the board in the gospel accounts. What would make sense here? Well, we know that Jesus is a master teacher, don't we? And that he's always looking for ways to draw out what is inside people's hearts. When we read this story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman, we tend to think that this is a, a one-on-one encounter, that that's the only thing that is happening here. We, we tend to forget, though, that there are other critical players in this story. We forget the disciples are in this story. We know that Jesus has chosen these disciples so that they might carry forward the kingdom movement that he is launching, which is why Jesus, he is always on the lookout for a teaching moment for his disciples, isn't he? I mean, he's always asking them these prodding questions, looking for creative ways to unmask their preconceptions, their biases. But not only this, we also know that Jesus is more present to the present moment than anybody else. He is always keyed in to what the Spirit might be doing. He's, he's never in a rush to bring an encounter to a quick resolution. He wants to use it for all it's worth, right? I don't know if you remember that time when the scribes and Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery and they throw her at his feet in an attempt to trap Jesus? Teacher, should we do as the law of Moses requires and stone this woman or just let her go free and not worry about it? What do you say, Jesus? Remember what Jesus does? He remains silent. He stays present to the present, bends down to the ground, and with his finger, doodles in the dirt. Because here it is. It's a teaching moment. And Jesus is in no hurry to get it over with. So the scribes and the Pharisees, they press in. The crowds, they lean in. And the tension sets in. And that's when Jesus stands up and finally says, let anyone among you who is without sin throw the first stone. And then he calmly kneels back down to the ground and doodles once more. Now, from one angle, we could say that Jesus is being quite harsh and insensitive here. I mean, he just gave the crowd permission to stone this woman. And yet we know better. Because Jesus is just being his master teacher self. Always looking for ways to draw out what is in people's hearts. Well, consider for a moment that the same might be happening here in today's gospel story. That Jesus is remaining silent because once more he's staying present to the present. Seeing it as a teaching moment for his disciples. Jesus, yes, he is aware that he is acting in a way that his disciples would think is entirely appropriate for a Jewish rabbi in refusing not to speak to a woman. Jesus knows this, and so he's, he's in no hurry. He's going to wait and, and see how things play out, see how things develop. And sure enough, as if right on cue, the disciples come to Jesus and urge him to send this woman away. 
The very thing that we want to do with those people who are so different from us, Jesus, send them away. That's what the disciples are wanting Jesus to do. Now, Jesus could have rebuked them at this point, but there's more that he would like to draw out. There's more that he would like to teach his disciples about themselves and about this woman. Remember, he's paying attention. And he heard something unique in her cries for help just a moment ago. He, he noticed that in her pain, this Canaanite woman amazingly hailed him as the son of David, as the Lord, something that even his disciples have yet to do in this story, in the whole gospel. There is something about this woman that Jesus sees, but his disciples don't. And so he's going to draw it out. And to do so, he begins by making a sound and unassailable theological assertion. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. My friends, this is good theology. Jesus knows the biblical narrative. And he also knows that his mission is to bring this story, Israel's story, to its culmination. I mean, he is their representative. That's what Messiah does. That's what Messiah means, the king of Israel. And his disciples knew this as well. Remember that earlier in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus, he, he gives his disciples authority over unclean spirits and every sickness, and he, and he sends them out with these instructions. Do you remember what he says? Go nowhere among the Gentiles, he says. Enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. The, the disciples know that Jesus' priority is the restoration of Israel. And so we can imagine the disciples nodding their heads when Jesus makes this clear to that Canaanite woman. That's right, lady. Move it along. You heard them. The divine plan is focused on Israel, not on people like you. You see what's going on? Jesus is subtly revealing how good theology can get in the way of loving one's neighbor. But the disciples don't see it yet. Jesus is hoping they will, if only this woman will persist. And persist she does. Just like the parable of the persistent widow, this Canaanite woman will not take no for an answer. Notice what she does next. She comes to Jesus, kneels at his feet, and in stark simplicity says, Please, Lord, help me. Jesus is present to this moment. He's taking it all in. He's not only taking in her persistence, but now her faith, her kneeling, Lord-affirming faith. And so he's going to take one more step and try to pull out more. He can sense that this teaching moment is not yet over. And so Jesus does something quite out of character. He chooses to take the theological attitudes of his disciples and press them to their ultimate conclusion. And so he voices what he knows his disciples want to hear. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. But again, these words are meant for his disciples. 
It's as if Jesus is saying to them, I know you think Gentiles are dogs and you want me to treat them as such, but pay attention. This is where your biases will lead you. And yet, even in that moment, I can still see those smirks and smiles on the faces of the disciples. Yes, Lord, send her away. Send her away. That's what we want. But Jesus knows something that they don't. And he is anticipating something that they're not. That this woman's faith is about to break through. And breakthrough it does. Yes, Lord, she says. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And with that comment, the smiles disappear across the faces of the disciples. And a huge one takes shape on the face of Jesus. Woman, great is your faith, he says. A statement, by the way, that stands in contrast with all those times Jesus had said to his disciples, O you of Little faith. Man, the disciples have just been taken to school. You see it? With a brilliant piece of pedagogy, Jesus has shown them that they have a lot to learn from Marshall Armstrong. Jesus has taught them that those whom we would like to send away actually have something profound to teach us about faith. Go back then to those in your life you identified earlier as the other. Those of whom you'd rather just send away. And ask that question again. What does Jesus think of those people? What now do you think he would say? I believe Jesus would say you need to take a closer look at the great faith the other so often has. Those with less resources than you, those with less privilege, those who come from different backgrounds, those who have radically different political views from your own, those who aren't from around here. Yes, we might want to send those folks away, but Jesus wants us to look again. Jesus wants us to be amazed For it is those whom we tend to look past, even those we tend to despise. These are the ones that Jesus would have us learn from. This reading makes sense to me on a number of levels. For Jesus has already in Matthew's gospel demonstrated his willingness to embrace those rejected by society. He has already on numerous occasions touched the untouchable, spoken to the unspeakable, He has already demonstrated incredible kindness and grace and love to the other. He has already proven time and time again that his mission to restore Israel, yes, that's still his mission, but it has always intended to spill out and over into the lives of all people, especially the other. But like his disciples, we tend to forget this and need to be reminded And so I ask you once again, who is the other in your life? And what is your attitude toward them? And then compare that to Jesus who says to us, how great is the faith of the other? What might you learn from them? How might you be challenged and inspired by them? What are you doing not to send them away, but to draw close and near to them?
For how great is the faith of the other. Heavenly Father, we confess our pride, our tendency to only be drawn to those who are like us, and then to think that we have a corner on the theological market, to think that we have got this thing figured out in terms of what it means to follow Jesus. When we have so much to learn from those we look past, from those that we want to send away, from those that we despise even. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us so that we might take a closer look, so that we might be inspired by the faith of those who are different than our own and and therefore exhibit the same grace that Jesus exhibits to us. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.